I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. I don't want to call this an emergency podcast, but uh, Chatfin uh, calls it a point of interest podcast, which I love. And so we bring in Chatfin today, the fine Boston Globe sports media writer, to talk about Amazon's viewership of its first regular season game. Those came out same day we're taping this, September 22nd, Amazon uh, getting around 13 million viewers when you include the numbers for the local broadcast and Amazon's main broadcast as uh, provided by the Nielsen company. So we get into what we think that means, what we think that means heading for the future. If that was a good number for Amazon, we both think it was. And uh, and then finish with um, some Aaron Judge talk and the, the prospect of, uh, of Aaron Judge's uh, historic number 62 um, landing on uh, Apple television as opposed to elsewhere, and, and do people care about that? So a little Aaron Judge talk at the end, but uh, but mostly uh, Amazon uh, NFL discussion to start. Chad and myself are followed by Fred Siegel, who is the author of Freezing Cold Takes, NFL, Football's Most Inaccurate Predictions, and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them, Fred Siegel, since 2015, has run the popular Old Takes Exposed account on Twitter. And it's a, it's a very, very brilliant idea in its conception to basically cull through all um, sports media people's uh, incorrect predictions. Uh, and man, there are many between social media as well as uh, you know digital print or television. And to have a, uh, have a one sort of clearinghouse for all of those. And uh, I profiled Fred... Um, when he first started, I'm, I am, I'm fairly certain I'm the first quote unquote national writer to ever write about him. And he was at 2,500 Twitter followers at the time I wrote about him. And he's now over 600,000. So this thing in, uh, in six plus years, is just, uh, blown up and, uh, and Fred's written a book. So congrats to him. So, uh, Chad Finn and myself to start on Amazon NFL. And then we follow with Fred Siegel coming up on the sports media podcast. All right. As I said at the top, we bring in Chad Finn. We'll do a, uh, what do you call like a mini podcast, Chad? I don't want to say this is an emergency podcast because like Amazon's viewership is not emergency-ish. You owe Simmons money for that if you well, use, I, if, use but that. If he was the first one to do it, I'd tip my hat to him uh, if he called it that. I wonder um, if, if, you know, everybody says it now, but if, but uh, yeah, I give him credit if he was the... If he was the first to do it, for sure. Uh, but you can't call this an emergency podcast because, like, viewership numbers are—I don't—I don't think they're—they reached a level of emergency. But we are doing a small, quick podcast because Amazon's Thursday Night Football numbers finally came out. Point of interest podcast. Yeah, point. Oh, I like that point of interest yeah. podcast. So we waited a week. They're out, and let's start here. According to Nielsen, um, so an independent third party. 
uh, provider here. Amazon drew 11.8 million viewers for its main broadcast. You add a little over uh, a million, so a million two or so, Chad, yeah. for the broadcast from that originated from Kansas City locally and Los Angeles locally, and that takes you to 13 million viewers. Uh, I will play off you here. What was your reaction when you saw those numbers? Well, I think we were in the same boat where you and I, I know we talked about this in the previous podcasts a little while back, thinking the numbers were going to be good. And I, I feel like our estimates are around 10 million. And then people in the industry or, or people have really good read on, uh, oh yeah, Austin was, was with us too. And uh, people in the industry started saying, no way are they going to get that. If they have those kind of numbers, they're probably fudging the data. It's going to be in the single digit millions. And I got convinced that was going to be the case. So today to uh, see what they actually got, which is better than both Monday night football games have got so far this year. Uh, I think they were both in the seven and nine million range. Uh, it's really impressive. And I know they had a super marquee game. You look at the schedule when it's announced and that Chargers Chiefs game as the first game on Amazon Prime uh, really jumped out at you as a heck of a gift from the NFL to uh, Team Bezos or whatever. But um, it was a game that was anticipated. And I think we find out that if there's a game people really want to watch, they're going to figure out a way to watch it. And those numbers are going to be uh, very good, even if it's a streaming service. All right. So there's a lot to sort of, you can, you can, you can attack this from a lot of different ways. So let's, I'll, I'll sort of do the writ large part. First, I think it's a very strong number. There, there's no argument or sort of way to spin that point. Um, I think the one thing that it had to avoid or try to avoid was being really, really low. Like if this thing was six or 7 million, that's a bad news cycle. And well, they're, not, they're supposedly promising advertisers much higher, right? Twelve point five. Yeah. So they're averaging at they're 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 promising advertisers for the year twelve point five million viewers. I think that's still too high, but for the for listeners to just listen, that's the point of reference. And so first week they beat that. So to me, that's a huge win. Um, I think getting thirteen million viewers is a really really strong number because this is still all new. And yeah, I know Prime has, you know, whatever it has, 80 million households that have it. But, you know, there's still a gigantic learning curve and a big education here to get people to be aware that NFL football now is exclusively on um, on this streaming service unless, you know, you, you have one of the two local teams in your market. So to me, I think just overall, um, I think if you're Amazon, you got to be beyond pleased um, it then gets into Chad and sort of here, we'll do the sort of the step two part of this here. Amazon itself, based on its first party me measurement, meaning first party, meaning like Amazon's proprietary measurement is saying that they average 15.3 million viewers in total. Um, when you, um, when you sort of bring everything under the, uh, under the Amazon tent, uh, again, we're not going to see those numbers, but you know, I would think that Amazon. Well, I, one of the things that my colleague uh, Bill Shea at the Athletic sort of talked about was that uh, we're going to have to look at two numbers for the entire year. We're going to have to sort of look at the Nielsen right, number, right. right? And then we're going to have to sort of try to weigh through the Amazon number, which I would think by and large will always be higher than the Nielsen number. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, uh, that's going to be the case. And 
I'm really curious to see what those numbers are for game two that they have because it's uh, Steelers Browns. Yeah, which is if you give the Chargers Chiefs a, a 10 on a one to 10 scale of uh, appealing games, this one's probably about a three and a half, um, maybe a four. It uh, qualifies as a rivalry, I guess. But uh, having seen the Steelers play up here in New England last weekend, it's not exactly an exciting football team, or uh, I guess it was down there in Pittsburgh. Well, when uh, when Bill and I wrote something for the Athletic, we did get a couple commenters who said that maybe we were um, we were devaluing this matchup just a little bit because the Steelers are a national team that has fans across the country, and the Browns are a historic national team with fans across. The Steelers the country. are boring I, as hell, though. That's the problem. I know. I, like I think that's a f- <laughs> my, my, my like I think that is a fair argument to make. I just don't think that this particular brand of Steeler team is interesting at all or has any kind of star appeal, certainly not a quarterback. So you're that's going where I Herbert think the Mahomes is. to uh Brissett Trubisky. Yeah. I mean <laughs> and we we both know the NFL markets all this stuff around quarterbacks. And so I think um let's put it this way. If Amazon can if Amazon pulls over 10 million for, in the Nielsen number for this game then my whole thought process on them will change. Then I'm like, wow. Like, all right, maybe more people are going to stream this stuff this year than I expected. But I, my prediction, if I had to, is I, they're going to be under $10 million for yeah, this game. I, I just can't see it. Do you think anybody tuned in for the broadcast team? I mean, I, I, I'm not a believer in that generally, but the, yeah. you know, the Herb Street Michaels had some buzz. I, my, my thought, I, I'm like like you, I think both of us have written about this long enough to know that... that um, broadcasters do not bring in any new viewers to a game. They certainly can have an impact on studio like Barkley, et cetera. Um, I think for this one, Chad, like maybe some casual people might've been curious to sort of check out in the same way. I do think some, some casual sports or casual NFL fans were curious to check out Buck and Aikman's first game. So yeah, I might buy that. Like it'd be impossible to put a number on it. Like I don't think a half million people, you know, tuned in to hear, Michaels or Herb Street, but I, I, there's probably, you know, like there are some people, however you want to, you know, uh, put a number on it, um, who, yeah, who I think were like, all right, like, you know, I like Al Michaels and, 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 and I know who Kirk Herb Street is because I'm a college football fan. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to put on Amazon for a couple minutes and, and check it out. I, th- I buy that. I think they're Fitzpatrick, they Sherman, like you know, pregame show you don't really know. Yeah. And am I getting again like that? That that thing feels like a big work in progress to me. Um, it's not that it's necessarily like unwatchable or horrible or anything like that. I think they just got to figure out ultimately what Don't they seem are. Like they've worked together. Yeah, like right. They got to figure out like is are they going to try to highlight the byplay between Sherman and Fitzpatrick, which it seems like they're going to try to do. I mean, are you know how much of it is going to be about sort of like letting the viewer know that they're live and there, which I think is a lot. If they do any kind of features, are they going to do any kind of features with depth, or is it going to be the usual like nonsense, like you know, minute and a half feature we might get on a on a Fox NFL Sunday with like you know triumphant music in the background, like I, you know that those are the questions that that they're going to have to answer. But the the real reality of this is that no one at the moment, I shouldn't say no one, so I because I, I get I, I I don't love it when people do this. The, the pregame draw for Amazon right now is not any kind of draw for people to stream the NFL product. What The draw is the game. And if you happen to pop on a little bit early, then you'll probably watch the pregame. But no, you know, very, very, very few viewers are heading to Amazon's NFL pregame coverage because they need to see the pregame. Do you think their viewership was 
bumped up by the fact people can't really jump around like they would on yeah. a network game. It's a great point. Um, I saw that point made on Twitter by um, Robert Thompson. Bob Thompson is a um, he's a he's the retired president of Fox Sports' networks and Fox Sports' Fox Sports International. So he's uh, you know someone who's been in um, NFL booths. He's worked at the highest level of um of sports you know broadcasting uh you know sort of those credentials are what they are and one of the things that he asked exactly what you did was that are the number he asked do you think the numbers are helped by the fact that it's a royal pain to channel surf um a la linear television on a streaming service you know so he's talking about would average viewership length be up and i think there probably is something to that right because like it really is a serious pain to to log off Amazon if you want to just sort of check out what else is going on and then log back. If you're a two device person or a three device person, yeah, you can do it. But I I, I don't think we're so lazy. Well, I just think I think that that is <laughs> you're you're an outlier if you're watching games with multiple devices. Trust me on this. Even if you're you have a group of friends who do it, you're probably in a certain age group. The reality is like for most people, like it's one device for them. You know, they're watching on their laptop or they're watching on their TV or they're watching on this. And so I think Bob Thompson's onto something there. And I think you're onto something there is my sense is maybe the, maybe streaming gets a little bit of a bump because of uh, the, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to leave it. You don't want to, when commercials come on, you don't want to get out of the streaming service because it's going to take a couple minutes to pop back on, let alone you hope that the actual thing does come back on, right? And that you don't have uh, yes. any broadband or Wi-Fi issues issue. or whatever. Yeah. Did you, by the way, I, I, you know, again, when it comes to this stuff, your experience as to how you process Amazon's product here is really going to be based on so many variables in terms of like what your own um, streaming setup is, you know, what kind of Wi-Fi you have, what kind of device you're using broadband. I have no doubt that tons and tons of people had issues and you saw them put it out there on Twitter. Uh, Chad, just in your own small circle, how did you find the experience? Did you have any kind of issues with latency or any kind of issues uh, signing on or was it pretty smooth sailing for you? Well, first of all, I just, uh, we I, we use Roku and kind of YouTube TV as our uh, fundamental operating system here whatever you want to call it it's four clicks to go from youtube tv to prime and back um it's not that difficult but i I guess that's more than you're used to when you're just jumping from channel scrolling from channel to channel but um yeah i had problems with it i had uh audio was really muddy um i kept having to adjust the audio level and uh, I got all of the bugs that people are complaining about the frozen screen or the screen going um, a little bit hazy at times. You know, some of that's obviously crappy Wi-Fi where you are uh, or, you know, just, um, you know, not a great connection. But uh, it's also things that you really shouldn't have to be dealing with on on. Uh, such a prominent broadcast on its first day. And uh, it seemed like a pretty significant number of people were having the same issues yeah i saw a lot of people um talking about audio feed the sync was off um i i do think you know crowd was me. quiet and they're they're at arrowhead and you could barely hear the crowd yeah and again like trust me i'm not getting anything from amazon so i have no reason to sort of pump uh p- pump their tires a little bit i do believe though chad that they will invest 
significant money. I mean, not I believe they are they are investing significant money in the millions to try to make that experience as best as possible. So I think you're trying to will, go to space with Bezos. I know. Yeah, I mean that, that will improve, but the the one of the really long term issues with streaming is it can't be perfect because they they cannot know what everyone's setup is right so you're gonna have issues based on the sort of the neighborhood that you're in that said they have to work on that man that that is job one you you have to have people have to be able to connect and it has to feel like broadcast television because if it doesn't then you're done like that people will not give you a chance but for week one um i think they have to be overjoyed incredibly happy because they got a great viewership and i think the broadcast of the game and i think me and you both agree on this from the broadcasters to the production team it felt and looked like an nfl game that would appear on a fox 425 or a sunday night football yeah you kind of know what a fred godelli broadcast looks like and sounds like feels like don't you and uh, that's obviously a good thing and it had that feel and um I would take Al, and it's probably still my number one pick in the the uh, draft of play by play voices to call a particular game. You got one game to call. He's probably the guy I'm going to. So it's always good to hear him. Uh, I thought there were some things to work out with Herb Street. Um, you know, he's had a lot of praise, but it was very general. Uh, this guy's a excellent passer uh, without a lot of specifics, but we know he's capable of that because he does it. He's been doing it for years on the uh, ESPN College broadcast, ABC College broadcast. Uh, I think it was just a get acclimated day for him a little bit, and that this broadcast team will get stronger and stronger as this goes. No, that's an interesting. I'm gonna. That's a. That's a. You know, usually Herb Street is uh, universally praised, so that's. I'll. I'll start paying attention. Oh, I'll, Still I'll, a pleasant broadcast, but he, he was. I thought he was very general. A general. What the expectation okay. was. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna sort of try to keep my ear to that. All right. Last. Um, I have two more. Uh, one more thing I want to do with you on Amazon, and then we'll do a quick Aaron Judge thing. Um, the especially because Aaron Judge is in your neck of the woods as we're uh, as we're taping this. What have you thought of the the public relations push from Amazon um, Prime Video Sports Department and the NFL? <laughs> um, so here's yeah, th- this uh, again. I you know, I try you know I know people don't always love it when we're going inside baseball. Sometimes it's good to do inside baseball and other times you want to be more generic. So if you hear the word Alana Russo, that is uh, Amazon Sports uh, Video's head of uh, PR. He's been in the business for a long time, total professional. But man, did that group try to get ahead of the curve by pushing out the uh, the storyline, Chad, that uh, Amazon had more, Amazon Prime had more signups in the three-hour NFL period than they've had in their history? Yeah, I saw that. Saw yeah, that. that was, so you saw how that thing got out uh, faster than uh, faster than Usain Bolt, right? Well, apparently one of their PR people was calling my old phone number, so I missed <laughs> I missed the uh, the gist of the um, uh, you know the I don't want to call it an assault of information. Yeah, but... <laughs> we all got it. I got. It. I mean, f- full candid to the audience, I got it, and you know, you know, other people who do this kind of stuff. Got it. You probably saw it on Twitter and stuff like that. Yeah, and never the, mind. It's usually pretty helpful. Yeah. Some, yeah. I mean, it's an absolute spin job by them, but, but sometimes, you know, there are many times when public relations people provide something that's absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely of value to the, to the public. You got to just obviously sift through what's, what's PR and what's spin and what's value to the public. That's sort of part of the game here. 
Yeah, I think that's where you're seeing the 11.8 million a lot more than you see yeah, the 15.2 yeah, yeah, today. Right. If you're jumping on the 15, I mean, you 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 you, you know. You, you might be related to Jeff Bezos and sitting with him and Goodell. And that's you got Air Amazon packages on your doorstep this morning. Yeah. 15.3 million. Okay, fine. Amazon let, invite me into your proprietary data center. And let me, let me go through those numbers. I'd be happy to uh, clarify it there. Um, so the last one is, you know, I think we haven't seen this yet, Chad, because we're taping this literally just a couple hours after the numbers came out, but I would expect the NFL to make a serious push on saying these numbers, um, these numbers prove far and above that streaming is an absolute relevant place for us to have our product. This justifies Amazon paying us a billion dollars. Like I think the don't you think the NFL, um, especially this week, is going to try to use this to justify that? Look how brilliant we are. You know, we have made streaming. Um, even more powerful, and we have uh, proven that um, streaming works. Again, I, I think down the road, obviously, it's going to be a good deal for both um, parties. That said, the reality still is that far more people are going to watch this product on linear TV for many, many years. And until I know for sure that Amazon gives me a perfect production with uh you know my like you no audio issues and my wi-fi and all this other stuff working perfectly there's no way you can't argue that linear television is still not a better experience i mean let's just we're just be, let's just be honest i'm not saying streaming isn't the present and future in many ways but the reality is like this is one great thing about over the air network or whatever if i turn on fox or cbs at 425 like the audio is not going to be screwed up you know what i mean chad like right. it's going to work like now i pay for that privilege but I know it's going to work. What do you think the number would have been where the NFL wouldn't? Uh, I already, I mean, I already heard all of this this morning for the NFL touting the streaming angle, but um, where they wouldn't have come out and done that under ten million? Yeah, I mean, I think yes, that's what I think, and I, th my, I know, uh, you know, some of my colleagues uh, heard from the NFL, like uh, you know, just because you know whether it's NFL writers or NFL business writers, et cetera, and I think that they're not going to try to. I think they're not going to try to make this a winner in winning news cycle for them, by the way, which it is, unless it's over 10 million. I think it's just, if you're getting, I don't know, if you're so, if you're so far behind like Thursday night football's average last year on Fox, which if off the top of my head, I should know this. It was at 14.5 million, I think was the average for Fox Thursday night football this year. So if your first game chargers chiefs, which is, you know, like, one of the potential games of the year. If you're drawing under 10 million for that, I don't, I don't think you can sell that as like some revolutionary story. No, so I think I, you got to have the eight figure. I thought it was interesting to see uh, uh, Michael Mulvihill tweet this morning. The last time the chiefs and uh, chargers played on a Thursday night back in. Yes. So this is the last year, last December. I think it was, this um, is the last thing I want to brought, bring up, as you know, Chad, I've tried to, uh, I've, you know, I was off Twitter for seven months. I've tried to, I'm trying to be, a, does that mean you're back by the way? Uh, semi back part time. Okay. Quasi back. So, I gotcha. Yeah. Quasi back. No way. Full time. So I've tried, you know, I've tried to sort of be a, you know, I want to come back a little bit different. I want to go back to, uh, you know, uh, relishing all the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the worst of Twitter. That's sad. I have to be honest. I still love myself a petty fight between two companies or two <laughs> sort of PR-ish entities. So Mulvihill, who is Fox's, um, Mike Mulvihill is Fox. He's been on this podcast before. He's sort of Fox's head of strategy. Um, 
he, he probably has a different title, but that, that's how I would look at strategy and data. He's the guy who um, is absolutely responsible for Fox um, changing its college football strategy to put a massive game at noon, which really changed their entire right how people look at their college football. I mean, that alone, the guy should have a job probably at life for Fox. But after Amazon has its numbers, right, and after and after all the people who cover this stuff put it out there, look at Mulvihill with the petty. The like 18.1 million. Some, <laughs> yeah, dropping some Fox playoff game implications to say, hey, linear TV is still blowing you guys away. I mean, my man, I mean, it's a nice little battle, right, Amazon versus Fox? 39%. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, you know, again, I'm just saying for the for the for the public here. I'm not going back to the days. I'm not no more Twitter fights for me. Those were retired with Ravel back in 2014 or whatever. He gives me so, a block, so I can only watch one side does? of that okay. if you bring it back up. But again, there always will be a part of me that likes to pay. This is why, you know, there'll always be a part of me that will watch AEW and WWE. So like I can't, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I guess you are who you are. <laughs> Lastly, quickly, uh Aaron Judge. So He's he's he got a four game series with the Red Sox this week. Uh, one of those games is on Apple TV Plus. That's Friday night, Sun, Sunday's ESPN. I actually don't. Maybe you do. Do you know who has Saturday's game? I do not. No, no. Okay, I don't know either. And Thursday, I think is just a yes and probably a a Nesson. I know this gets this this has been a talking point for some. Is it a big deal if like Judge hits sixty two on Apple TV? First of all, if you're Apple TV, there's no way you're giving that exclusivity up. Like you paid them money so that you could have the dream of maybe getting a game like that where people will sign up and watch your product. So that would be crazy for them. That said, I get it if you're a baseball fan being ticked off. But I've said it on this podcast a million times. Baseball is the most unfriendly major sport. They don't care about you as a viewer. They care about bringing as much money from as many different media partners. And my evidence there is just look at all the different media partners they have. So again, I just want to get a sense from you because he, he may very well do this in your hometown. Like, is this, how big a deal will this be if he launches 62 Friday night for Apple as opposed to, um, you know, doing it like on an ESPN game or, or, or maybe some game where like everybody can do live look-ins? Uh, well, I tweeted a little bit about that yesterday because I think, I, I think of it as, a big deal and that it's going to be a, an exceptional achievement if he hits 62 home runs, uh, even though I, I recognize the bond 73 is a record it's American league record. It's more than Maris hit in 61, 61 years ago. It's really cool. Guys have an amazing year. Um, and the response that I got was who cares? Uh, he's seventh on the all time home run list. And, you know, that's a probably largely a provincial Boston thing, but, it did make me wonder if that's the way the rest of the country outside of New York, New I, Jersey feels. I don't feels. think so. I, I mean, again, I get that there's – I should bring Patrick Antonetti, my producer, on to talk about, like, you know, dislike of the Yankees and the Yankees yanking everything up. But I, I don't know. Like, I do think there's something about that record or that number. That, that team, too. That team – He's a likable. I think he's a likable figure. I mean, obviously, do I know 100 percent sure he's clean? No, but it seems I think like he's he just is. large. Yeah, it just if I don't know, like that the single season home run record has always felt like national to me. I don't know if the Bonds McGuire Sosa stuff changed that, but it does. I I think your whoever's responding to you that does, at least is my take. That feels provincial. I think yeah. people care about it. I mean, I can't. You know, I haven't talked to somebody in Iowa about it or Montana, but. I don't know. I think there's still something like interesting or romantic or whatever about 
about that number, 61, 62, even though, yeah, Bonds, Bonds has the record. Friday, Saturday, but Friday, uh, get a couple MLB Network games, and Sunday night is the uh, uh, ESPN broadcast. So Major League Baseball is probably crossing their fingers that he doesn't do it on Apple TV. They would don't don't you think that yeah I, no I guarantee that don't you think they would love for that to happen on ESPN? That's a pretty yeah Sunday night baseball is probably the showcase event during the regular season. Uh, you know, excluding, they're out of luck with Red Sox pitching. I can tell you that yeah, <laughs> right, excluding All Star Game and Field of Dreams game, you, you um, might have sixty seven by Sunday. Yeah, so that would be Ravich on the call with Cone and Eduardo Perez. You might get a pretty good call on that in terms of like. A memorable call, or you know, uh, I really like Cohen, man. He's got great historical perspective, like a baseball. He's a good player. analyst. He's he's always yeah. he's he's always been in uh, for the Yes Network. Like it's a national analyst working locally. I, I know you like Eckersley. I feel like the same with Eckersley. It's like getting a it's getting someone who's a national analyst on a local broadcast. New York is very lucky in that they have uh, Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez, David Cohen. Oh yeah, um, so yeah. Have, New York also pays. They so. do. Different yeah. than a lot of other markets, including this one. Right. And by the way, I am not a fan of John Sterling and Susan Wallman, who who I think are way over the top Yankee homers. So it's not like everyone in New York is um, Vince Gully or sort of you know middle of the road uh, kind of broadcaster. They do the the there are homers in New York, but by and large, like I think it's a good me. Forget the fact that I'm from there. I do think it's a good baseball media town, like in terms of broadcasting always, because the people like Gary Cohen and uh, Michael K. Cohn, Hernandez, yeah. Darling, they've always kind of done the games as if they were broadcasting like um, a national playoff game as opposed to like a local game. It's There's not a lot of wheeze that I find. Yeah, bigger feel. Yeah. Criticism too. Especially, yeah. you know, like Hernandez in particular. Yeah, and again, you could probably do that if you're Keith Hernandez because, you know, you're a legacy guy there. Um, in the same way, I imagine Eckersley could probably criticize the the Red Sox. But, um, you know, I get it. I think in some markets you can't do that because the owner would fire you. And, you you know, you want to keep your you want to keep your job. But, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, I will say, and again, not to sort of be East Coast bias on this podcast, but New York and Boston are great baseball towns. And part of the reason they've been great baseball towns, honestly, is just the history of, of broadcasting in that uh, market. All right, Chad, is there anything else that uh, that you want to hit on? We're you know we're on to we're on to Steelers uh, we're on to Steelers Browns. Whenever you come back on the podcast, we'll talk about that and we'll see if uh, we'll see if I'm right. In the uh, in a piece that Bill Shea and I did on the Athletic, I did say I'd eat a raw egg if it if if the <laughs> if the number was like twelve million. So I I really would not like to do that, but I feel pretty confident I'm not going to have to. Yeah, I'm setting the over under at nine and a half. Ooh, okay, that's actually that may be high, but then you know it is the Steelers national team. Yeah. yeah, if it's nine and a half, how many people do we hear from in Amazon PR? Like two instead of seven. I, I can you spin that into being a good number? Uh, is their internal number going to be thirteen? We got a big enough PR staff to try, Chad. Yeah. Oh, good for them. Yeah, exactly. Get that uh, Bezos money. I know. Must be nice. All right. Chad Finn is a Boston Globe sports media writer. He has uh, graciously come on to do what is not an emergency podcast, but it is a, uh, what did you call it? You had a really good name for it. Yeah, right? I, I don't remember. Yeah, that was good. Point of interest. Point of interest podcast. I like that. Patrick, we may have to write that down, Patrick. We may have to steal that as, uh, Brand that. as the title. All right, Chad, you'll be back. Thank you. I, I appreciate you coming on real quick, and, uh, and we'll talk soon. Chad Finn, everybody. Thank you, Chad. You bet, Rich. Take care. 
All right. As I said at the top, Fred Siegel is the author of Freezing Cold Takes, NFL, football's most inaccurate predictions and the fascinating stories behind them. Since 2015, he has run the Old Takes Exposed Empire, which chronicles incorrect sports predictions. We will get to uh, my own history with Fred, which dates back uh, all the way to 2016. But I am pleased to be joined by uh, no longer just the man behind the Twitter feed, but the, an author, a published author, Fred Siegel. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, yeah th- thanks. Thanks for having me, Richard. Always wanted to be on this podcast. Uh, well, aim low <laughs> and your dreams have come true. Um, all right. So um, so it must be, I mean, in all seriousness, it must be very exciting, right, to turn this turn this thing into a book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the whole thing. Well, writing the book... The whole time, like I'm doing it, I just didn't. You don't actually think it's going to happen. Still, there's always a thought in your head that you're just doing something, and you're writing. I was writing something, and it just, you know, I never, like, I knew it was going to happen. But then, like, when it happened, I was, I was like, that's really, I actually did. It. I wrote a whole book, and I didn't have a you know, ghost writer or anything. So, all right, so let's get into this. Um, so, you know, the for those who don't know. If you are on Twitter and you you um, went to Old Takes Exposed, at Old Takes Exposed, the feed basically, um, while the majority of it's sports, it's now sort of morphed into pop culture and politics and some other stuff. But it takes opinions that have been put out on Twitter and um, re-ups them. I mean, these are opinions that turn out to be incorrect, many times hilarious. So we've all been there. And Fred started this in 2016, and it has since blown up, um, including obviously regarding his book. So, Fred, when you when you know, there's obviously an infinite amount of incorrect predictions and opinions, but there is a challenge, I think, to sort of put this into a book form. So, how did you approach both the research for this, and then just like the idea of how I want to construct this in a book form? Well, I didn't want to make it an extension of my feed. I always wanted to do a book. I knew I could do a book um, because I had been writing my whole life uh, academically. And when I I was a lawyer for eight years and I was writing every day, so I knew I could write and I knew I could write a book, but, um, and I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to make it an extension in my feet. I wanted to do something that really told stories about why some of the journalists had certain opinions. Well, first I wanted to give uh, collect like some of the great uh, bad opinions or thoughts on particular sports. Um, I chose to do just NFL for this book, but originally I was going to do a full all sports book, but then I just chose to keep it to NFL because I was having a hard time picking which ones to do for each sport. So I did the NFL, but I wanted to show um I wanted to show why some of the journalists had these opinions. Like unlike on social media with Twitter, where there really is only room for a quote or a tweet, like the book allowed me to expand and provide context surrounding something um, that in hindsight was a truly terrible opinion. But I couldn't just put a million quotes together uh, about all different topics in like one chapter. I needed to make the chapter about one thing or just like one particular topic. So I, I, I tried to choose ones that were, I was interested in finding a period or moment in like a, a, a historic team or player's history where a specific underlying sentiment was popular among the media. And then find a substantial amount of articles and tweets and quotes 
and explore that. So that's what most of the chapters are on. Um, but I, I, I do have one chapter with the draft takes where I just list like 50 draft takes because um, the draft is so good and there's so many different great fun cold takes. I had to include them, but I didn't have enough like room. I had a max word count to give it the background, every single one of them. So I just listed them. But for the most part, it's just a chapter each on historic teams and players um, for a specific period. For instance, there's a chapter, I wrote a few chapters on the Patriots. There's one that focuses just on January 2000, starting when Belichick quit as a Jets head coach. And then after one day on the job and the Patriots hired him later in the month, that whole month he was getting criticized. And then after the Patriots hired him, he was, he was criticized. I have a chapter on the Packers in the nineties from when they hired Holmgren and traded for Brett Favre and signed Reggie White. So it, it's, it's like that. Uh, uh, there's like 14 chapters, I think. And, um, and, and that's really what, what I tried to do with it. Did, is the, I mean, do you consider uh, criticizing um, the Patriots hire Belichick or anybody who had a take on Brady taking over for Bledsoe? Are those like the, I don't know, are those the Mount Rushmore of, of, of takes here when it comes to your book? Well, the Belichick one, certainly. Uh, Bill Belichick did not have a good reputation, especially after he left the Jets after one day. Um, and he had, he had a coaching uh, – in five years with the Cleveland Browns as a head coach, he had a losing record. So there was definitely an aura about him that was like, this guy can't be a head coach. And people were wondering why Patriots even wanted him that bad. The Brady one is a little different because there was no social media. There was internet, but there was no social media. And, you know, there was only a few weeks. There was only really like – a few weeks of that type of discussion because when Bledsoe went down, the Patriots won and two, they looked terrible. So maybe that week there was a lot of quotes and tweets about, not tweets and quotes and articles about how Patriots are going nowhere. And then, but then Brady played good for two games. So there was a bunch of optimism, but then there was one week where he lost to the dolphins really badly in one of those typical Miami Humid, humid games where the Patriots got boat raced and Brady played terrible. And then at that point, there was, of course, people were down on Brady and there were, and, and people in the Boston media were making fun of anybody who thought that Brady could possibly take over for Bledsoe. But then the rest of the season, he won almost every game. So there wasn't that much time for a bunch of cold takes. But the best cold takes for Brady is this following season. Because after the first season, when he won the Super Bowl, the first season he took over as starter, he won the Super Bowl, and then Belichick traded Bledsoe in within the division. And he was criticized for that. And then the following season, Bledsoe started off amazingly. The first eight games, he was like front runner for MVP, and Brady was struggling by the end of the first eight games. So at that point, it was open season on Belichick. Like, how can you trade him within the division? And, and, uh, and made a stupid move trading him in the first place. The one-hit wonder, Brady, that was really the best time for that. And then Patriots didn't make the playoffs that year. So even after that year, there was a lot of one-hit wonder for the Patriots. How did you find the, um, whether it be the writers, reporters, personalities, when you contacted them about 
their inaccurate predictions or opinions. Um, I, I get obviously everybody's sort of going to have their own individual reaction when you're calling them. But did you find people were pretty self-deprecating and and had fun with you reminiscing this, or were there some who really were like taking it just ridiculously seriously and not happy to revisit what was an incorrect prediction? Well, anyone who agreed to talk with me was cool about it, but uh, a lot of people ignored me, and um, a lot said um, a few said no straight up, and. Um, so I guess that particular action of, of ignoring or not talking to me about it is, is taking it seriously. But the ones who agreed to talk with me knew what they were talking with me about, so they obviously knew, didn't have a problem with it. All right, let's promote the book again. Freezing Cold Takes, colon, NFL. Football's Most Inaccurate Predictions and the fascinating stories behind them. You can get that on uh, Amazon or wherever major books are, are sold. All right. So when I first um, encountered you, Fred, was in 2016. And at the time, um, you had a very, very small Twitter feed where you were, um, you were putting out like, I think it might have just been only sort of previous tweets, but uh, but I, I could be wrong about that. You can correct me. But you were basically you had discovered um, <laughs> just incorrect predictions, and then when you looked at it, like you know, a year or two or five years later, it was really really hilarious to um, to read. Michael Kay, who is the Yankees broadcaster, um, but also an ESPN radio host, somehow came a hold of your feed and talked about this on the radio. I don't remember if this is how I learned about it, but then I um, contacted you, and I'm pretty sure, at least in terms of anyone who is a quote-unquote national writer, um, I was the first person to do this when I was at Sports Illustrated. But at the time, Fred, you, you were you were an attorney, right? Like, you, you, were, you were not in sports. You were an attorney specializing in transactional and regulatory healthcare issues, and you were just doing this fun Twitter thing on the side, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I posted like three or four a day and then maybe at night during the games um, if something was happening. I remember I remember there was the uh, I guess there was a few types of games like the national championship game. I guess, um, uh, you know, there was there was the college football national championship games. And then there was the um, you know, there was the NFL playoffs, I think, and the Super Bowl and stuff like that I was doing during the games. But otherwise, mostly just old stuff that I found um, maybe three posts a day. <laughs> and these were, if I, from what I remember from the story I wrote on you, th these were uh, like, a lot of these were just like you had friends, right? You have a text messages, you go back and forth. And like one of your friends might be like, check this out. I saw this prediction from like three years ago. It's hilarious. Well, yeah. And that, and I, I kind of discovered, I don't know if anyone really, uh, not that many people knew the, the capacity of the uh, Twitter search function. At the time, I mean, but I, I started to realize that um, I used to use these things like Westlaw and these data banks, Westlaw and LexisNexis, to find cases. And there's these huge catalogs where you find cases to help your to help your your legal work. And then, but they, they kind of had the same search terms, so I figured out pretty quickly how to find stuff online. And then once you filter it to once you could filter it to verified accounts, just verified accounts, it was. It was great. So you look up a date, coach was, the coach was fired. You just 
look up like on Google name of coach hired and you find out the date the coach was hired. And then you just type in the name of the coach, the date, that date, and then filter verified. And then there's just all these uh, blue check accounts talking about how great the hire is. So that's, <laughs> that's what I started doing. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, it was really fun to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then I remembered, I also remember when I had a chat, I have a chat group with my friends, we talk about sports and that had been going on for years. So we discussed all these things that people were saying, and I remembered them from the chat. All right. So let me read this to you. You'll, you'll find this great. This is from February, 2016. Siegel works on the feed solo but gets about three to five suggestions per day. A number that goes up as his follower count goes up. He's approaching 2,500 followers. A couple of months ago, he noticed about 100 new accounts had followed the feed. Curious about how word got out, he sent a tweet out asking how people had found about the feed and was informed that ESPN New York Sports Talk host and Yes Network broadcaster Michael Kay had talked about the account on his show. So when I wrote this, Fred Siegel's account is at 2,500 followers. As we are taping this now in late September, I go on the um, Old Takes Exposed uh, feed, and the number is 600,000 and th- 600,003 followers. I mean, uh, incredible. I mean, an incredible, you know, in five years, a massive, incredible growth. Um, he obviously does this now on Instagram as well as a couple other social media posts. He's here, obviously, to promote his book. All right. So Fred, a couple of questions, um, regarding just sort of how big this has gotten. And I'm sure you never would have expected it. It it got this big in, in your opinion, I'm asking you to generalize here. How in general do sports media people respond when you repost some of these takes on your feed? Now they're pretty good about it. Um, I think that there's, uh, I think that sports media has figured out generally speaking, that um, are are being showing content towards someone posting your old posts, your old inaccurate predictions never looks good. So I think that they figure that out. And when they, when people do that, I I mean I don't ever talk about it. I just retweet it, and then they don't look good. But um, I think now they figure that out. What they do not like, and I can tell you this: this is the thing that sports media people hate thoroughly hate is when they say anything um, somewhat interesting or predictive, no matter what they tweet, anything I'll get tagged 50 times in a reply. And, um, and it just like to hold on to it. <laughs> they don't like that at all. I mean, that is, they'll, I don't think they ever will like that. That's something that, uh, that they that they they'll respond back and say I don't even know why you were posting this. It's not even that big of a deal. <laughs> so so okay. So I think you're right. I mean, I think people have learned to be self-deprecating about this is the way to go. Uh, but there was a time, right, Fred, that like especially early on in this, that there were there were sports media people who were ticked at you. Like they you you were you were like how like how dare you. Um, recall my opinion, right, from years ago to, and then publicly shame me on this feed. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was really, uh, back then it was really bad because, well, first of all, I didn't have that many followers. So they could just, sit, they, reflexively, they would get mad at you for doing something like that. And, uh, but at that time, I think that 
there was before, you know, before as, as Twitter keeps getting bigger and bigger and uh, just the type of reactions towards media takes gets different. I think that there's a different kind of uh, approach to it. I think like, and there still are people like this, but back then, especially, you know, sports media people, like they, they work really hard on what they do. They, they work hard in going to the locker room or, or, or writing whatever articles they have to write every day and, and doing research and all that kind of thing. And they, they, they feel it error. They feel that they're working hard to put out something that people like, and that's important. And I'm just taking their old posts and putting it there and, and laughing at them. And, and I have done nothing. They've done a lot. They're so they've done so much. So they are, they're getting mad. That's that, that was really the sentiment that I got uh, uh, the type of sentiment, but now it's like, they understand that people are going to pick apart everything that they say um, on social media. So I think it's a little different now. Did you find that? Um, did you have you found that those who really got ticked off were they more of um, traditional like beat writer types? Were was a columnist, or was it those who are putting opinions into the uh, ecosystem every day? My this is just my premise. I could be wrong, but I feel like if you're like a Colin Coward type. Um, you, you shouldn't be that mad because you're putting an opinion out like every 20 seconds. And obviously at a certain point, like they're going to be wrong, but maybe someone like that, and I don't want to just necessarily knock on coward, but maybe someone like that has a, you know, um, doesn't want their opinions to be exposed because inevitably you're going to have opinions that turn out to be wrong. So was there an archetype that sort of was more upset about it than, than others? Oh yeah. Yeah. Guys like Colin Coward are i mean he gets it like he doesn't care at all um to him and to the people at his network it's free publicity yeah and it's obviously they don't care because they put out everything he says that's even remotely provocative every single day so it's easily accessible and find so <laughs> if they did, if they cared about that they wouldn't post it but um yeah the traditional types the ones who have been in media for a long long time and you are used to working at newspapers and the only thing that they're used to is getting angry letters. Yeah. Those were a lot. There were people that were upset, but also, but there are also bloggers too. You know, bloggers worked every day and, and they had to put something out every day. They didn't like it either. A lot of them. Um, I think there were certain types of bloggers who didn't use Twitter as much and were really into blogging and that's it. Um, so I think it was a, a kind of a mesh, but, the, the old school types, the ones who work at newspapers, definitely there was a sense of, of di distaste towards it. They just think that I'm, taking, I'm getting a free ride off of them, essentially, was what their, their attitude was. But I, I mean, it really was free because like for so long, I didn't even make a buck. So. <laughs> right. Well, it's a, pu it's a public space, too. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So, you know, for full disclosure here for the audience. You know, Fred and I have occasionally gone back over the years. Uh, and, and he used to sort of mock me because I really would not have a lot of takes out there because he, I think he <laughs> thought he didn't want, you know, he, he really wanted to nail me, especially after obviously I wrote the piece <laughs> on him. Um, so my, the, my, my greatest one, I think, at least in terms of that I know, maybe Fred knows differently, is I wrote in April of 2016, I'll risk getting adult takes exposed in 2021. I think Roberto Aguayo is going to be a sensational yeah, NFL kicker and win his team some games. So that's my worst one. I mean, and <laughs> I, I, I have always deserved to be 
to be nailed on that. Um, so that's my that's my biggest. Uh, Aguayo um, kind of changed. The, he changed it for kickers. I mean, he did. Yeah. But now, was, but now it's going to go back because of the fierce. I was all in, and, uh, <laughs> and I, paid, I, paid, I paid the price, and deservedly so. All right, a couple a couple more things here. Um, you know, you, because because you really, I mean, if this is sort of a um, if I was to categorize people like who who are real experts on sports opinions in the United States, you would be very high just because you tra- traffic in this content on a daily basis. And so for you, this is always interesting to me. I wonder if this for you has highlighted that the many times in sports, there's not any accountability if the opinion is incorrect. What where the currency is is just giving the opinion. Now, while you know, I wish that wasn't the case, and like you know, maybe there should be accountability. Um, and man, I hope there's accountability, and you know, when it comes to more important things like politics and stuff like that. But have I think at this point, Fred, you've marinated this so much, right? That like you you have to have I think learned that. Um, there's not really anything – there's no um, – how do I say to say this? You're not penalized for being wrong. And and essentially, if you just churn out opinion after opinion after opinion, that's almost what many employers are paying people for, right, as opposed to having accurate opinion. Oh, without a doubt. It's been going on forever. Um, I don't think that there's any question about it. It's, there's no actual accountability in terms of uh, – you know, your, your job or anything. It's, it's, it's basically account. It's not even, it's basically shame, uh, ego accountability, stuff like that. Uh, there are certain people who don't care who do it, who just want to say the most provocative thing and they don't care if it's right or wrong. And, and I think that that in a way, if you're doing a, if you're doing TV and you have, and you're in a program that just talks about sports, I don't think there's any other, you have to do that. Because if you talk about, oh, well, you know, I think that I think that they could be good. Uh, we will see later on. You know, that's not going to nobody's going to watch that, or nobody's even going to listen to that in the radio. Unfortunately, I think that there's a market for that type of stuff in podcasts, where you get a niche podcast where the people who want to hear that stuff go to that podcast. If you want to hear about all the stats stuff, you go to a stats podcast. Um, if you want to hear like deep insight about certain players in basketball, there's plenty of podcasts for that. But if there's a TV show, there's no way. Uh, you, you, I mean, I think you have to do it. I think, I think people do it on Twitter now. You could tell that people are just saying things just to get a rise out of everybody or just get attention. But, of course, it's been going back all the way. I mean, the, the, the columnists who made a huge name for themselves back in the day, especially the young ones, you take a look at Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless has been doing what he's been doing forever. Yeah, it's the same playbook. It's just now on TV. I mean, Lupica, Lupica where I grew up in New York, yeah. a, a little different kind of writer than Bayless, a little more talented, but like it's the same premise, basically. It's the same playbook. Right. Like the, the Skip Bayless, and even before the, uh, the Troy Aikman thing, and I, I highlight this in this book, in my book, even before the whole Troy Aikman issue with the book and the discussion, like the rumor about him being gay and, and Troy Aikman getting upset about it. In his book, that was like 1995. Before that, like starting in 1989, when Bayless was working at the Dallas Times Herald, after he got a huge, 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 uh, they 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 paid him a huge salary to leave Morning News to go to the Times Herald because he was so popular in that sense. He was doing the exact same thing he does to LeBron James, to Troy Aikman, in article form. 
Like every single game, he ripped on Aiken. He wanted to go with Steve Walsh and all this stuff. And, 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 and just even if he won, so it was the same playbook, the exact same playbook. And he's been doing it forever. He just found a medium on it on TV. But I think in that regard, there's people like that, not necessarily with the same playbook, but just the ones who were big in, um, in, in being a big, young, great columnist or a popular columnist was doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, especially in 2022, you can monetize shitting on people uh, for millions and millions of dollars. It's ultimately just about like what kind of um, what kind of career you want. Um, regarding your uh, your empire now, Fred. So <laughs> when I talked to you back then, or when I wrote that story back then, you know, you were a practicing lawyer in Florida. Um, I quite frankly, I don't know if you're still practicing, but I am curious, like. Because you have gotten such an audience for all this stuff, like, can this be like, can this be your business or can this be your profession? Or does it still remain in some form like a, uh, this will be my phrasing, like a secondary career where you're still practicing law as your, as your first career? Well, I mean, it's a, it could, it could be a profession. Um, Yeah, it could be a profession. It could be something that you do to make money um, for your career, but you have to hustle really hard really hard and you have to i mean i think in a sense i would if i wanted to do something that would be really big on a grander scale i'd have to i'd have to do all the things that you do on social media to become bigger uh which is kind of give in to what people want to see on social media daily and kind of like give into like the provocative culture the hot take culture or the 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 promotion of like individual things that uh you know individual clips or things that are kind of disingenuous you know like uh, just you kind of have to be a little less genuine to do that um i, I do it as much as i can on instagram i don't do that i try to do that as much as possible i do on Inst- i do i post i i make money doing this um not as much as anyone would think and certainly not as much as I was making as a lawyer, but um, I have a lot of time now. Uh, but um, I do a lot of that type of stuff uh, where I promote things and make money. And I wrote the book too. So that type of stuff I do, but uh, and I think in order to be in a career, you'd have to really go wider scale and just be like one of those. I mean, I think, you know, any social media company now, or any company on social media is just promoting the hell out of everything. But not like you, you can't be entirely genuine. You have to kind of push push it. Well, yeah, I mean the reality is, yeah, you know, you have um you got two hundred thousand plus Instagram followers. I'll just use that as an example. Um you can easily use that feed um to promote product. Maybe you do, by the way. And so, you know, the once you have an audience as you do like that becomes to me the currency of which you can make money, but you make a great point. It then becomes like, what are you willing to do, right? To, to make that money. And like, do you have a line in terms of like what you will promote or, or what you won't promote, but to your absolute credit, I mean, you've built this into you, if you want to call it a brand, I don't know if that's the right term, but you've built this into, you've built this into at least a significant audience and at the end of the day, if you have a significant audience, you can always make money off that audience. That's just like a general rule. 
Yeah, and you can you can produce more stuff too. Like I I could make a bunch of other accounts, um, uh, and you could promote that account. You can promote that account from your account, and then you start getting more and more accounts. So once you have one big account, you can start doing that. But there's a cap. I think there's a cap on what you can do until you start going really really wide scale and just promoting everything in sports. And there's really not that many provocative things in sports a day. So you really have to push it. My last question for you is this. I, there is there is no doubt, maybe you've thought about this or maybe someone else is doing it, but there is no doubt that someone could do what you do in sports in the political sphere. There, there are so many incorrect uh, predictions, um, not just about national politics, but about local politics. Um, you do occasionally on the feed, Fred, you do some culture, like what I would phrase sort of culture stuff. Uh, you know, like there was a, I saw a tweet uh, shortly uh, before we were taping this, like Blockbuster saying, "Hey, yeah. if you're cutting, ne- if you're cutting Netflix, tell us, and we'll give you like uh, some free stuff." I mean, it was hilarious that you know Blockbuster now out of business. Netflix is obviously a giant, but have you, um, did, like, I wonder if, personally, have you ever considered um, developing like this in in an alternate content play, like like politics, or if you haven't, do you think, let's say? in the political sphere, like this could work. Somebody doing exactly what you're doing in sports and politics. I think it could work for sure. I don't do it. I used to post some stuff about politics. I remember when the election was going around, like I, when I first started the feed, it was like 2016, but um, I did a lot of stuff with that, but I don't like to do it anymore. And I really don't like to do it because I, first of all, it takes over my mentions. So if I started doing politics, I just get like, 10% sports and 90% political mentions. And I don't like politics. I don't like looking at, I don't like following it. So, I mean, it would just be hell. And second of all, you can only do it is if, if, you, if you're focusing on one side. Because people are not forgiving and people are heavily biased and heavily passionate. So you have to pick one side. And I think that there's some issues in politics also where you say that, let's say that, Someone said that Biden's going to be a great president, right? I'll just take it. And then someone tags me to that two years later, right? Well, there are certain people who don't think that Biden's a good president and certain people who do. And that's just opinion and essentially political bias. So, so it's, it, it's no, there's nothing wrong or right. So I think, I think the way to do it, and I think there's some accounts who do that, is it, it, the way to do it is you... You focus on, and this is really easy for politicians because they're shameless about it and they have to do it, is that you take something that they said two years ago and then you take something that they said two years later and it's completely contradictory. So that's really where you get it. But there's also things about people saying this guy's never going to win, this type of stuff like that. But in politics, it's, it's like that. Now, when I posted politics, I did not want to be, I did not want it to be like take over my feet. I want it to be like one a day, two a day. But then I found myself deciding like which one to post. And then I used to get all these texts from people that said, oh, you didn't post this. That's because you're biased, you know? But it's really because I really wanted to post one a day. So that really got in the way doing things. And I just really hated them all being my mention in my feed. And it was just so much easier just completely blocking it out in the feed. And I told no more. <laughs> you have to like politics. You have to be passionate about it, or else it just takes over. 
It's really, yeah, it's a, you make a great point because a lot of – ultimately, maybe your even own inherent biases you wouldn't even realize when you were um, sort of doing this. So to me, yeah, you either sort of let the audience know I'm coming from this uh, side and here is my feed uh, or you got to really be a great curator like you said – where you you're so nuanced and you're sort of calling out politicians maybe for saying X in 2015 and then when they're in office doing Y in 2018. But that's tricky. You know, that's a lot of work and you, you got to be savvy about that. Yeah. And I see some accounts that like really do only like they're tailoring to the right, right? Some accounts are tailoring to the right and they're posting all these old takes or clips. And then they, they, but they put say that they're biased, they're unbiased because, but then when they post like something, that's really kind of making fun of someone from the right. It's a person that even people from the right make fun of. Right. Right. It's right. like a safe play. <laughs> so it's, but I used to get, when I, I, I will still post politicians if it's about sports. So I was always just one about Johnny Manziel. Trump said that Johnny Manziel was going to be a great player. So that's an easy one to post. But you still get people who are upset and try and defend it just because of their political bias, not because of their like they wanted to defend Manziel. Right. Yeah. But the, the good thing about that is there's politicians, both uh, Democratic and Republican, oh, yeah, who really yeah. have some Especially who have some like, horrible say uh, sports predictions. You can you can absolutely uh, track those like, down. So like uh, the, the governor of Michigan. Gretchen, whatever, I forgot her name. Gretchen Whitner. Yeah, yeah. Gretchen Whitner said, Whitmer. <laughs> said uh, congratulations on the first of uh, first and, and definitely not the last win of the season, <laughs> the Lions. So now I root for the Lions the rest of the year to win, <laughs> to lose every game because that would be a great post. <laughs> You're all over it, Fred. All right, Fred Siegel is the author of Freezing Cold Takes, colon NFL, football's most inaccurate predictions and the fascinating stories behind them. Um, go to Amazon or uh, wherever you get. Go to a local bookstore. Hopefully, I, let's, yeah. Let's someone said let's, that they saw it in their bookstore. It's in my book. All right, that's great. Yeah, yeah, like really some, cool. uh, yeah I saw it. Like someone took a picture. Someone I know from from uh, Towson took a picture and said, "Here, look at the book." And it was my book. And then there was a bunch of Ra- awesome. Raven books. Around yeah. I love that. I love it. it should be fun. <laughs> just it's just great to see your book in a in a bookstore or a library. It's like the. Uh, the coolest thing. And again, he, um, you know, as we stated on here, Fred runs the uh, old takes exposed account and um, it continues to. Uh, yeah, Richard blew up the following. feed. I mean, there's no doubt. When I went 2,500, I was at 2,500, I was probably at 20,000. By the end of the weekend, you posted your article probably on a Thursday or something like that. Um, but it, 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 was, it was the article that gave it credibility. But what really got the followers is that you posted it four times in different times a day on right. Twitter. That's that's when I love Twitter, Fred. That's when I was really into it. Yeah, yeah. You kept posting, and all these media people. Yeah, no, that I was, I was. It's, it was really, really, really blew up the feed, and then I started to get like, I got, I got mentioned on Mike and Mike, and that was really cool. Then other, like, yeah, that I remember that really others cool. did it. Like it, um, I remember Andy Roddick was a big fan of it. Oh yeah, yeah, Andy Roddick, he definitely yeah, saw that from you. He pushed it out there, but yeah, it's cool. I, I was, I'm very happy to sort of have been at the beginning of that because you. Uh, you know, you created something in a space that didn't exist. And I like that. I'm always admire that. And like, uh, and look at you now. All right, Fred, it's, uh, it's great to see your success. I'm sure, um, 
I'm sure we'll be connecting online. As you know, I'm very circumspect now when it comes to takes because of you. So I, I, I <laughs> my goal is for you not to get me in the next two or three years. But I know there's a Roberto Aguayo out there for me somewhere. So I was wondering what happened. Like I, when you emailed, I was like. I was like Richard, man. What, what happened? I, I I haven't seen. Yeah, you. I took I took I took a Twitter hiatus. You can call me part time now. I'm like I'm part time back, not full time. <laughs> part time. Uh, all right, Fred. Continued success. The book seems to be doing great. I'm really really happy for you, man. And uh, and it was a fun read. So anybody who's listening to this, uh, go check it out. Uh, Fred uh, Siegel, thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Chad Finn, as always, for uh, popping on. He's always great about uh, coming on on a moment's notice. And Fred Siegel, thank you. Uh, Best of luck with your book. If you like these conversations, head to the um, archives page. We've done three podcasts this week. Did not expect to, but that's just sort of what happened. The podcast before this one, uh, a massive welfare scandal in Mississippi, a volleyball facility in Brett Favre. That was a conversation with Mississippi Today investigative reporter Anna Wolf. She's all over the welfare scandal that's been happening in her state, and she explains what this um, this scandal is, and then explains how Brett Favre factors into it. She has just done incredible, incredible work. Maybe Pulitzer Prize winning work, quite frankly. And so, um, if you're interested in the story, and I hope you are, um, please check that out. Prior to that. We had Thursday Night Football Prime Video Executive Producer Fred Gadelli and Lead Director Pierre Musa speaking of Amazon, and they took us behind the scenes after that first game and how they saw it, uh, what they liked, and what they want to improve on. Before that, uh, sports broadcaster turned agent Alex Flanagan. We had a conversation with Jenny Rentis of the New York Times and Lindsey Jones of the Ringer. A uh, conversation with Michael Grady, new television voice in the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Anish Shroff, new radio voice of the Carolina Panthers before that. ESPN NHL broadcaster Leah Hextall on her journey last year. There should be some things in the uh, archives that uh, that you'll be interested in. Um, what they call Evergreen, basically. You can listen to them like a couple months later. And uh, if you're interested in that person or the subject, they still should hold up pretty good. As always, thank you to Patrick Antonetti for uh, his help. I want to thank uh, everybody at Cades 13 for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.